0: last week talking to you about discovering the heart of God. So would you take your Bibles today and go back to the book of Luke, the 15th chapter, because that's where we are taking our text from. And as you're doing that, let me thank those who are joining with us today. My name is Eddie Couples, and I'm the lead pastor of Love and Truth Ministries, and I'm glad you're with us today uh, in our campuses in different locations across Tennessee and Illinois. And we welcome you today, and we believe that today, that as you've already worshiped and you've already prepared your heart, that now as the Word of God goes forward, that you are going to receive what God has for you and for your life today. Last week we began talking about uh, the the Word of God and how that God reveals Himself to us, how that He uh, shows His heart to us. And and I think, uh, I've been doing this for a really long time, and I think that there's a lot of people who really don't know the heart of God. I think there's a lot of people that misunderstand how God's heart really is. There's there's a lot of people who think that God is this uh, mean, dictatorial, uh, horrible person uh, who is sitting up in the heavenlies and trying to destroy their life. And yet what you find in Scripture is is you find that God is not that way. And so in this passage that we begin in last week, what you find is is that you find here that the religious people came to Jesus. The, The Bible says the scribes and the Pharisees there in the first couple of verses, uh, came to Jesus, and, and they were upset. They were ticked off because Jesus uh, was welcoming people uh, who didn't have it all together. Now, I want to tell you, the day that you think you've got it all together is the day that you don't. The day that you think you've got it all figured out and it's all put together and it's all right is the day that you are going to get yourself in trouble. And so Jesus is welcoming. He's welcoming sinners. He's welcoming people that other people are not interested in having in their society or having in their circle of friends. And the Word of God says that as as Jesus is kind of rebuffed by by the religious people, that he told some stories. And that's what Luke, the 15th chapter, is about. is about three different stories or parables if you want to use that terminology, that Jesus told. The first story we took last week and spent some time with it. It's the story of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, one day looks up, and as he counts his sheep off, he finds out that one of them is missing. And the Bible says that instead of him saying, well, I've still got 99 left, the Word of God says that he left the 99 and he went after the one uh, who had wandered away. And we talked last week about how when he found him, he placed him on his shoulders and and, and all the great things that took place there. But as this story continues, he ends that story and he immediately goes into another story. So would you look in the book of Luke, the 15th chapter, beginning in the 8th verse, because this is the second story that Jesus tells to reveal the heart of God to us so that we can discover God's heart. He goes on after talking about the shepherd in verse 8, he says, or what woman, now we don't know who this woman is, he's just using her, actually he's using her as a picture of God. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. Now I want to tell you something about this woman. This woman is distraught. All right, last week we talked about that the heart of God was distracted by the lost. This week I want to tell you the heart of God is distraught about the lost. That word distraught means highly agitated. Do any of you have that gift? (laughs) That you can highly agitate people? I've, I've not found that as a spiritual gift, but I think I've got it. I, I just have a gift of highly agitating people. I make them distraught and don't even mean to, all right? And that's, that's where this woman is. And again, it's a picture of God. It's a picture of our Heavenly Father. And, and so there's this distraught. I mean, she's searching. She's diligent. She's going after it with everything she's got. It says, she, she goes and searches carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. In other words, I found the coin which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, and I love this next verse. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, last week it was 100, we lost one, and we still went after it. This week, the odds are getting smaller. There's 10. One is lost, and yet that one is precious. That one is what we're going after. That one is the most important thing. Now, when it talks about silver coins there, uh, it, it is in reference to a drachma, uh, which is a Greek coin that was used in that day and age. Th- that coin is worth basically a day's wages. So uh, most scholars agree that that coin in that day and age was worth between 10 to $25. So it's, it's somewhere. Now, the monetary aspect of that is not really the important important part of the story because when you begin to study that, uh, what scholars tell us is is that this could refer to one of two things. One of them is it could refer to her dowry. It could have been what she was purchased for, and I did say that right. She was purchased. Wives were bought in that society. Wives are still bought in this society. We just dress it up. (laughs) Sorry, and I'm in serious trouble. Uh, in, in that day and age, they, you know, they would, you know, the uh, the, the father uh, would, would of the of the prospective groom would go to the father prospective bride and say, "We want you know, my son wants to marry your daughter," and they'd work out the dowry and they'd go through the whole thing and, and we'd get two camels and a goat and a calf, you know, whatever. All right, and uh, but there was also money exchange, and and some scholars think. Uh, that this was part of her dowry that literally she wore, whether it was as a necklace or somewhere around her waist, that this was worn to signify how worthy she was and how, how, you know, how much she cost. And so this was, uh, if, if you had ten, you should not want to walk around showing nine because you're not worth nine, you're worth ten. Right, come on ladies, you know that. All right, and, and so it was part, in, in some scholars' mind, it was part of the aspect of, of, of who she was and her self-image and whatever. Others think that it was just her wages, that for that, that was her wages, and she had placed those, and this was 10 days' wages. And and I want to tell you, in that day and age, you you didn't have a a stock pantry, and you didn't have all the the nice things that we have today, and you you had to go out daily and get your food, you had to daily take care of business, et cetera, et cetera. And so all of a sudden, she goes in, and we don't know what's happening, uh, but that she goes in, and we find out that she's lost one of these coins. Uh, And and the, the whole purpose of Jesus telling this story is that that he is is using this as a representation of a lost person, as one who is lost. And he is talking about uh, how how much that they're really worth. And so we have to understand that. In fact, what you need to see, the first thing you need to see about this is that as she is frantically searching, you need to understand how precious this coin was. All right? And what we need to know this morning is, is that not only is that coin precious, but if it represents a person, then we're all precious. We really are. See, if, if I've only got 10 and I lose one, that's a tragedy. Because now I'm, I'm in a real mess. And when you, when you begin to break this down, and, and as I begin to study for this, I found out some things about drachmas. One of them is, is that a drachma bore the image of the king. I'll give you a second. You say, why is that important? Watch this. Every person born bears the image of the king. That's why we're so special. Is because we bear the image of the king. We bear the image of the one who has made us. The Bible says that you were made in his likeness and in his image. And so you and I are special. And you know what? It would take care of so much mess in our world if we really understood that everybody that we meet bears the image of the king. Let me just talk about it for a minute. I want to tell you, it would take care of racism. It would take care of sexism. It would take care of ageism. It would take care of every ism known to man if we treated everybody like they bore the image of the king. See, what's this. Our government cannot mandate us not to be racist. Our government, government can't make us not be uh, people who are sexist. But when I approach somebody, and no longer do I see if they're male or they're female or they're black or they're white or they're Latino or whatever they are, but I see them that they are formed in the image of the king no longer do I approach them from the color of their skin or what gender they are or how much money they have. I now approach them as a fellow child of God who is worthy in the sight of God Almighty. And, and I want to tell you, it's time that the church begin to model this to the world. Well, I, now, now let me, can, I, can I talk about this for a second? Thank you. I'm going to. I just needed a little affirmation. All right. We need to understand that the world is looking for a fix. The world is looking how to fix all the mess that we're in. And they think it's through legislation. But I want to tell you the law killeth. That's what the Bible says. I can't mandate somebody to love somebody else. I can't make somebody to like somebody else. And, and here's what happens is, is because of our paradigm, and that paradigm just means the way that we think, because of how we grew up, because of the environment that we were in, we look at people a certain way. If you have been mistreated by white people, you look at white people a certain way. If you have been mistreated by black people, you look at black people a certain way. If you've been mistreated by Latinos, you look, whatever the issue is, you have this, You. it doesn't matter, you have this idea of what that means. And so st- statements start being made. Well, all so-and-so do this. Well, all so-and-so don't do anything. You, you can't put a, a, a race of people, you can't put... Uh, a group of people, you can't say, you can't paint all of them with the same brush because you have experienced something from your life that has tainted the way that you look at somebody else. And so what we've got to do is, here's what the Scripture says, the Bible says that there's no longer Jew nor Greek, no longer male nor female. In other words, if I were to use that, in, there's no longer black nor white, there's no latino, there's no there there's there's no man, there's no woman and God, we are all one. And so when we see somebody, we should not judge them by their skin color. We should not judge them by whether or not they're a male or a female. We should not judge them if they drive a certain kind of car or live in a certain place or a certain house. We should look at them and say, wait a minute, there is the image of the king stamped on them, and I am going to honor them as one who is loved by the king. And so when you, when you begin to understand that, you begin to approach people differently. I mean, it's, it's interesting to me how many people are blown away that love and truth churches uh, have people of every background and every race. They go, well, I just can't believe that. I can't believe you guys can worship together. Well, wait a minute. We're all brothers and sisters. Amen. 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 I mean, Marcus is my brother. He's a little darker than I am, but he's my brother. All right? I mean, come on. We, we, don't, we don't say, well, you know, all, all, all this has to go over here. And all. No, no, no. We are together. Why? Not because of skin color, not because of educational background, not because we've got so much money. We are all together because the king has placed his image on our lives, and when we get there, we will understand what it means to be precious in the sight of the almighty God. And so, and so as, as we begin to see that, we see that we're all precious, In the sight of God. Red and yellow. Remember that little song? Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children, the big children, the big dummies. (laughs) Whoever they are, he loves them all. All right. So it's precious. Now, we've established that. but, But let me show you three things about this coin in this story. First of all is the coin was lost in the house. Now the sheep wandered off, but the coin is still in the house. See, here's what I want to tell you. It's in the house, but it's not in its place. Did you hear me? You can be in the house, but still be lost because you're not in your place. You're not in the place that God wants you to be. You're you're not fulfilling the destiny that God has for you. Oh, you may show up on Sunday morning. You may, you may even be real spiritual and show up on Wednesdays. You, you may be, uh, you know, at that point in time where, where you're, you're going through all the things in life and, and you say, well, you know, here, I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm showing up. But you're lost. Why? Because you're not in the place that you ought to be. And so it's possible, and I've watched this through the years, it's possible to be in the house and be lost. It's possible to be sitting by somebody who's worshiping and still be lost. It's even possible to clap our hands. We might even get so radical we might raise a hand and still be lost. Can, can I tell you this this morning? I, and and I, I don't mean to mess you up today, uh, but, but I, I want you to hear. I've been pastoring a long time and, and I've, I've found in my life that there are ebbs and flows in my walk with God. I shouldn't tell you that. I should tell you every morning I get up and talk to angels. All right? Every morning the Spirit of God awakens me and I just, you know, float through the day. But that's not the way it is. And there are moments in in pastoring even that, that if I were to be truly honest, I'd have to say I was lost in the house. I may have still been preaching. Now, I can tell that makes some of you nervous. Because you're thinking, is this one of those days? No, I think I'm all right today. (laughs) You know, there's been those aspects of times, though, that I was here, or I was in the house, or wherever it was, but I was not in the place that God had for me. So you can be lost in the house. Secondly, what what you need to understand uh, in in this whole process of being lost is, is that not only can you be lost in the house, you can lose your usefulness. Right? The, the, the word of God is quite clear that, that the coin is only good as long as it's in her hand. Don't, don't miss this. What, what good is a coin? The only goodness that a coin has is what it will purchase. That's, that's why people drive me crazy who you know, have all this money and live like beggars. You ever read these stories, you know, so-and-so-and-so dies and, and they lived in a you know, little two-room shack. The rain was coming in and had 78 cats in the house, and, right? And, and they, they die and, and they find out that they've got millions of dollars in the bank. I go, stupid. No, I'm sorry, that's just stupid, right? I, I could have lived better. I could have blessed others. I could have done something with it. The, the only good that a coin is is what it can do. But it has to be in the hand of the one who can use it. And and so out of her hand meant that it couldn't do any good. Out of God's hand, watch, you lose your usefulness. When you are not in the hand of God, when you are not where God has a hold of you, then you have lost your usefulness in God's kingdom. The, The word of God lets us know that this coin is very valuable, that this coin is very precious. The value of a coin is in what it can attain. All right? It's in what it can purchase. The value of a soul is in what it can achieve. All right? And so when you begin to understand that, you begin to approach things differently. And so it's not enough just to be in the house of God. We've got to be in the hand of God. Because if not, then we find ourselves in trouble. And and so my usefulness, if I really want to be useful in God's kingdom, then I've got to stay in God's hand. If I will stay in his hand, then he can use me. And and that's why a lot of us need to understand that there are moments God will spend you in ways you don't want to be spent. Right? Come on, have you ever had God spend you and you went, I, I didn't really want to be spent that way? You ever Have you ever given money to a kid? You know, a kid can spend $100 on, you know, Skittles and, and you know, Laffy Taffy or whatever, and be thrilled. And you're sitting there going, that's my hard-earned money. That dumb kid, what are they doing? And, and you know, and, and things happen. Sometimes in our lives, God takes us and spends us, and, and in our, our thought processes, we, we, we don't understand. We don't know what's going on because we think we want to be spent this way. We, we want to only do things that are wonderful and marvelous. And God says, no, I want to use you this way. And that's why, remember the Scripture where uh, the Word of God says to the prophet, go down to the potter's house. And he went down to the potter's house, and God began to talk to him. And he told him, he said, the potter does not, the, the clay does not say to the potter, This is how I want to be made. That the potter is the one who determines the usage of the clay. Let me tell you something. In God's kingdom, it's not up to you how you get spent. It's up to God. But the great thing is, is that if he spends you, it's going to be all right. And so you've got to stay in the hand of God. Then the Bible talks about and shows us, it says, that she lit a candle. And so as I looked at that, I thought, you know, not not only are they lost in the house, not only have they lost their usefulness, but also were lost in the darkness. Have you ever been in the darkness? Come on, anybody ever been in true darkness? Anybody ever been in a cave? In a cave? I don't like closed-in spaces. There's something about them that, I'm okay, I'm not, I'm not you know, what's, whatever the word is, I'm, I'm not phobic, uh, claustrophobic, agoraphobic, manophobic. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm not phobic, but I just don't like tight spaces. And so years ago when, when I pastored in Adamsville, there were a couple of guys in the church who went in the caves all the time. They kept saying, Pastor, come go with us in a cave. I don't want to be in a cave. Lord set me free, why should I go back into bondage again? And in and 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 a weak moment, I have no clue why I ever told those two, especially that I would do it. Uh, I said, okay, I'll go with you. And, and, and we went, and it's back out uh, in Wayne County somewhere. And, and uh, it wasn't bad at first. We went in this cave, and we were on our knees, and they give me this, this light on my head, and I'm crawling through. And it's pretty good, first couple of hours. And, uh, and we, I mean, I don't know. You know, I think we're in China by then. But anyway... Uh, they said, Pastor, we're going to drop the pit. I said, what are you talking about we're going to drop the pit? They said, oh, it's easy. And you know what? Going down is easy. They didn't tell me, though, I had to come back up. So, so they hooked me up to this harness and this rope, and I rappelled down into this cave, into this pit, what they call the pit. It was a huge room in a cave. And, uh, and they got down, and they turned the lights off. And I want to tell you, it was so dark I could feel it. I mean, every, and, and please, you know, young people and teenagers do not watch these kind of movies. But, but, you know, I watched some movies when I was a kid, you know, Wolfman and all that stuff. And, and every demonic thing I had ever watched was coming out of that cave right then. <laughs> have you ever watched these movies? Come on, don't be watching them. Don't fess up that you have. My question is, is why do they always walk into the dark room and not turn the light on? Right? Come on, I'm just standing there going, turn the light on. He's right over there. Turn the light on. Turn the light on. If you turn the light on, you can see the guy's got an axe. Turn the light on. <laughs> Stupid white people, they don't ever turn the light on. <laughs> they dropped me into this pit. It was fine in the pit till they told me I had to repel and climb back up that rope. Me and Jesus had a meeting. Me and those two guys had a meeting when they got me out of there. And I ain't never gone back with them caving. But there's something about darkness, when you are really in darkness that it just it, it's overwhelming. And the Word of God says that this coin was lost in the darkness. Let me explain this to you just a moment. It's because we have to understand it's it's a different day. It's a different era. It's, it's not you walk in and flip a light on. It's you're, you're living in a house that probably has no windows in it. That's some kind of a mud house type deal. Uh, it's probably got an opening at the top all the way around. That's all the light you get. It's got some kind of a thatch roof or, or some kind of a mud roof on it. And, and so the Word of God says, uh, and plus, you don't have nice carpet and you don't have hardwood floors and you don't have have concrete you got dirt i mean if you're really wealthy you might have a mat okay and and so th- there's this whole aspect there and the and the bible says is that she first of all lights a light and then it says that she sweeps she, she begins to sweep and i begin to think about that i thought you know what uh, when we are lost we're in darkness Think about that. We're just we're just in darkness. We're kind of bumping into stuff. We don't know what we want to do. We don't know. It's it's not that we're bad. It's not that we're, you know, just horrible people, but it's just that we don't know what's going on. And then the word of God says is that she begins to sweep the dirt. She begins to 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 go about it. And I thought about, you know what? When you use a, a especially a hard bristle broom, that's kind of abrasive. Right? And I thought, there are moments, there are times in our lives where the Spirit of God sweeps us. We're kind of over here lost somewhere. We're going through whatever, and the Spirit of God begins to just sweep over us. And I, I, I don't know, you know, sometimes when you're sweeping stuff, you have to hit it four or five times to get it to move. And I'm wondering if she's not just bringing that broom back and she doesn't see it and she's sweeping over that. And and if, if, again, if it's a representation of a lost person, that this person's going, man, I wish you wouldn't do that to me. But the reason that the Spirit of God sometimes seems to be abrasive is not because He's mad at us, it is because He is trying to get us back into the place that we ought to be. The scripture says she sweeps it, she lights a candle. She sweeps the darkness. The the Bible is quite clear that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And so the light has already come. The light is already here. It's it's already penetrated. And so when the presence of God begins to sweep into our lives, what we have to do is say, Lord, even if it's a painful process, I don't want to be lost. I don't want to miss out on what you want to do. I want your presence to take away the old so that my true potential can come forth. Because as long as I'm out of your hand, as long as I'm hidden in the dark, I am never going to achieve what I want to achieve. The Word of God is quite clear that she finds it. If that was, that was most of us, we'd kind of lay it back up there and be done. But the, the Scripture says, and again, Jesus is showing us the heart of God as we discover that. And he says what she does is that she goes out, she calls her friends together and say, hey, I lost it, but I found it. And there's great rejoicing because now the coin is useful again. So once again, you see the heart of God. You see how much God loves us. You see how much God cares for us. And it's not that God is mad at us. It's not that God is is wanting to take us and, you know, take us to the woodshed. It's that God is saying, I want to find you. I I will do whatever it takes. I'll light a light. I'll sweep. I'll do whatever to get you back into my presence. There's something interesting here. When when you begin to study this, you you kind of find God revealing different, different aspects of who he is. He reveals himself as a shepherd. In this picture, he reveals himself to us in, in, in almost a, a feminine form. I, I think in the, in the picture of a mother, honestly. And then in the last story that we'll talk about next week, he pictures himself as a father. But how many of you know there's a difference in a mother and a father? And I'm not talking about just genetically. And how many of you have ever seen a, a little boy fall and, and his dad standing there? What does that guy say? Brush it off, big boy. Shake it off. Right? That's what dads say. Have you ever seen a kid get hurt and call for his dad? (laughs) Doesn't happen. It does not happen. They want their mama. Why? Because there's something about the heart of a mother. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the heart of a dad is, big deal, get up, let's go. You say, I don't believe that. Read the next story. I'll talk about it next week. The father's heart is different; still receiving, but doesn't go chasing. Mamas, oh man! I mean, I mean, I, I can remember as as a kid. You know, not not really being in fellowship with the Lord like I should be. Okay, I was backslid. I tried to make it look good. I, and, and I can remember being out late at night doing all God only knows what and you sure don't need to know. And, uh, and I can remember coming in at all hours of the day and night and there was nothing any worse than hearing my mom in her bedroom praying that her son would be saved. And I would get real nervous when I would hear her praying this prayer, Lord, whatever it takes. That one always scared me because I thought, oh boy, he'll kill me and I'll, you know. Because he answers, you know, Jesus does have a mama. You'll get it. Anyway, uh, and, and so, so there's this whole aspect of, of the heart of God that is, that is like a mother. And, uh, and I've watched it through the years. I've watched it times in, in our ministry. Sherry, and I have been in ministry a long time. And I've watched it times that I'll be honest with you, I've given up on people. You know, I really have. I, I just went, it's not worth it. How many times can you pray through? How many times can you get right? And, and I just kind of write some people off and go, well, guess they're not going to make it. And, and Sherry just keep on loving them, and I just look at her like, what's wrong with you? Because I'm ready, I'm going. I, and and I, I can remember a, a certain young man years ago that was in our church and. And and he was out doing everything. I mean, I don't know how many wrecks he had. I remember one night he wrecked a pickup truck. And I mean, I saw that he should have died. He should have died. And and he'd come to church, and then he, and shared love on him. And 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 I just I just said, give up. Let him. You know, he's gonna he's gonna die young. He's gonna wind up in a penitentiary. He's gonna. Some of you say I was speaking word curses. No, I just speaking what I saw. He's he's a mess. And and she kept loving, kept praying, and. And I can, we are having a special service one day. You know, and and I, I, I look up and in the middle of, the, of singing, he comes to the altar. I thought, what's that about? Get saved. And, and you know, and, and, I mean, his life is radical. In fact, he's a preacher. And, I, and I'm going, if it had been up to me, he'd been in the jail somewhere. But, the, but there's a the heart of a mother that just, just keeps on, keeps on, keeps on. And I really think that's what we have to understand about God is that God really does not give up on us. I I don't know what you've done or where you've been. You're in the house today, but you could be lost in the house. God still loves you. He's going to do everything he can to get you restored. He's going to do everything that he knows how to get you back in your rightful place where you're of use, not only to him, but also to yourself and to those who are around you. That's the heart of God. If you want to know what God's heart is like, we've just seen it. And the Bible says that when one lost one comes back, that there is rejoicing in the presence of God. And so if you're here today, or you're listening to me today, and you're just saying, you know what, I'm that one. I'm I'm in the house, but I'm kind of lost. I want you to know, there's a God who loves you, and there's a God who cares.